We're talking about um, family matters, and uh, we've done a couple messages on this, and we've got a couple more before we head into Thanksgiving. And uh, we talked about uh, education matters when the kids were going back to school, and that's a couple weeks ago now, so everybody's back into that routine, right? Get back to school. And uh, last week we talked about morals matter, which I think is a very important message, talking about the fact that we we have to we are responsible for the the, the uh, state of the morality in our families and uh, the the biblical responsibilities we have and the biblical standards that we need to carry on. So we talked about that last week, and today we're going to talk about marriage matters. And I think it's an important message because I I I think one of the most discouraging parts of being involved in ministry is uh, is having to sit down with a couple and. Um, and their marriage is struggling, and, and then watch them walk through it and it not survive. You know, it, so many couples today are struggling, and, um, and I'm really thankful for the ones that, that press through, but there's just something really sad about a family that breaks up. And, and you know, um, that's not how God intended it to be. God intended marriage to be forever. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6 to 8, it says, in the original creation, God made male and female to, to be together. Because of this, man leaves father and mother, and in marriage he becomes one flesh with a woman. No longer two individuals, but forming a new unity. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. So this morning we're going to talk about marriage and talk about the importance of it and uh, maybe give a few uh, scriptural um, ideas that uh, kind of help you to, to elevate the importance of marriage, whether you're married or whether you're single. I'm going to talk to singles this morning as well, so uh, don't think you can just check out today. So, you know, uh, we use that terminology um, in the marriage uh, ceremony, you know, what God has put together, let no man uh, uh, tear asunder, or rip asunder, or whatever it is. Cutting them apart is what this, this portion of Scripture says. I don't know if you've ever cut your flesh. Um, I was out this morning, early this morning, and uh, trying to start our generator. We, got a, we bought a generator. We have no power at our house still. Uh, we live in the, 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 uh, the, the far-off village of Farhaven, and we have no power there. <laughs> and uh, so we, I got, was getting this generator going, and I hit my thumb on the generator uh, as I was pulling the, the ripcord, you know, and, um, and, and I got a little owie here. <laughs> and it hurt. Oh, muffin. Just imagine what it, I mean, some of you maybe have experienced, you know, ripping flesh. And when I sit with a couple oftentimes and they're, they're talking about, you know, the option of divorce, I say, well, you understand divorce isn't an easy solution to your problem. It's, uh, it's not an easy solution to your problem because the Bible says it's going to be like tearing flesh. When you try to dissolve a marriage, when you try to break up a marriage, and even when, you know, even when you're agreeing to do it, it's, it's like ripping flesh. It hurts. And 40% of couples in Canada uh, today uh, will, will get a divorce. Um, that's, the, that's the statistic. It's a little lower than it is in the United States, but, uh, but it, is, it is the way it is, 40%. And it will have, it will have a huge effect on the life of that family. If there are children involved, the children will have, have uh, extreme negative effects upon them. They'll face intense stress, overwhelming emotions, 
constant fear about safety, difficulty com uh, completing tasks, academic problems, behavior problems, regressive, regression to previous and younger habits, feeling of powerlessness, total confusion sometimes. Kids will really uh, bear the brunt. If there are children involved in a divorce, they will really bear the brunt. One of the other things that's really uh, difficult about family is the financial cost. It's a huge cost. On average, uh, just the divorce alone costs in Canada $13,000, but it can be upwards to $75,000. And uh, I often tell couples that, you know, it's a lot cheaper to pay for counseling than it is to get a divorce. And because uh, sometimes, you know, you're talking with couples and you're saying, you know, why don't you go see a counselor? Well, we can't afford it. Uh, you can't afford not to because the option is really, really expensive. So divorce hurts. Let's talk about some of the things that we can do. First of all, we need to understand that our faith in Jesus Christ and our Christian, uh, our, our Christian belief system and our Christian practice is vital to the success of your marriage. Um, it's, it's people who call themselves Christian but don't actively participate in faith-filled lifestyle will be as likely to face a divorce as the general population. But a family, and we, we've kind of lived with this statistic for a long time that the, 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 the divorce rate in the church is the same as out of the church. But that's not quite right. Uh, the Barna Institute, which originally did that research, went a little deeper with, uh, with some other funding, and they went a little deeper, and they looked at that group of people that called themselves Christian, and they found there was a difference in that group of people that called themselves Christian and still got a divorce. They found that 35% of those, or that, that people who were actively engaged in their Christian faith, who attended church regularly, who, who you know, made, made a, a real intense effort to serve the Lord uh, were 35% less likely to get a divorce than those that didn't. In fact, 72%, uh, uh, um, let me just get this exact statistic. This is from Christianity Today. 70% of all married people who were still married to their first spouse and of those marriages, four out of five are happy. From that, 53% of very happy couples agree with this statement. Okay, 53% of very happy couples, that's more than half, agree with this statement. God is at the center of our marriage. 53%, more than half of the people that say they were very happily married said God was at the center of their marriage. 30% of struggling couples disagreed with the statement, God is the center of our marriage. So you can see from these statistics, and it's just really quick to kind of talk about it, is the fact that, that you know, if you really want to ha have a successful home and a successful marriage, putting God at the center, making your faith practice to be of vital importance, that you agree and you work together on this, and you, you, you make this a decision that this is going to be a priority in our life and in our home, it will make a difference. It's an important thing to do. I think also making your relationship a priority is also very important. Proverbs 5, verse 18 to 19 says, Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose, don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Now, the, the, the Bible is an ancient text, and it's written in ancient kind of uh, mindset. So it's talking, say, saying men 
This is how you need to treat the wife of your youth. But you can, you can be sure that if, we, you know, if this was being written today and God was inspiring this today, it would say spouse. Because you know, just back in ancient times, they just didn't think that women you know, would, would be reading it. <laughs> so it was written to men. And men had that responsibility. But all of us have that responsibility, whether you're a man or a woman, to take a priority in your relationship. Enjoy the spouse you, spouse you married when you were young. That's a very important. There are a lot of things competing with your relationship uh, as a couple. Hope and I have been married for 37 years, and there are all kinds of things that have been competing over the years for our relationship. Uh, we raised five kids, and you can just get... You can get um, you can get all caught up in just raising your kids and you forget that your relationship with one another is a very important thing. Friends can come in, you know, you have good friends and they can, they can kind of take priority over your spouse. Uh, your extended family, they can get meddling in your home and in your life. Do you ever notice, have you, anybody ever experienced your extended family getting, you know, the mother-in-law or something like that, you know? Um, work, work uh, can be a huge competition to your marriage relationship. Even your hobbies can become a competition. So we need to understand that we need to make a focus and a priority on our relationship. And that means, you know, in just being practical, in, in practical terms, you need to take regular time together alone as a couple. You need to make sure that you have time on your own as a couple. Uh, kids are great, but you know what? If, if you let the kids dominate your relationship, it can be fatal to your marriage. Because if you are all focused on your kids while your kids are growing up, one day they're going to leave. And that's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. When they grow up, that's, that's normal. They're supposed to do that. They're going to leave, and you're going to be sitting there across the table from one another, looking at each other. And if you have nothing left in common, if you haven't tended to that relationship, it can be a very lonely time in your life. And so it's very important that even when you have children, even when the children are demanding that you actually take time for one another, maybe go on a date night, uh, have some long conversations together, share your goals, your ideals together. Um, and I highly recommend taking vacations together without your kids. It's a really good thing. I know that's something that Hope and I did. You know, um, that's what grandparents are for. And, you know, you just drop the kids off with the grandparents and you go for a vacation, right? Uh, that's what we did. And uh, we're happy when our kids do that as well. So make sure that you make your relationship your priority. Um, sex is also a priority. We're going to talk about sex for a few minutes. So that makes you uncomfortable, you know, whatever. Makes me uncomfortable to talk about sex. I don't know. <laughs> so let me just read some scripture. All right? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. 
Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, Paul says, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. It's important that you make sex a priority in your marriage. And there are a lot of things competing, a lot of, there's so many influences in our world today. We talked about this last week in the, in the concept of morality and sexual morality. But you need to understand that sex is the glue that uniquely bonds a husband and wife together. It's, it's, you know, there are so many forces that are trying to work outside your marriage, sometimes before marriage, and this is where some of you unmarried people have to realize that the things you choose to do before marriage will have an effect on your life in marriage. And so you got to really be careful about these things. But even those of us who are married, there are so many things out there that are pressuring, and there's so many opportunities uh, for people to get involved in, in extramarital sexual behaviors, and not just adultery, but other kinds of things. And there's, those things will, will dramatically affect your marriage and will affect that bond that you have together. You know, sexual union places the marriage relationship in a category apart from any other relationship. It's, it's, it's that level of intimacy that you share with, with your spouse that, whole, that, that is so unique. You don't do that with any other person, or you shouldn't do that with any other person. That is the thing that, that you share. That's, that's the very um, intimate thing that you share only with that person. And that's how God designed it, and that would hold you close together. So you need to make that a priority in your life. If sex is a point of conflict or a difficulty in your marriage, I encourage you to seek professional help, whether that's medical help, if that's what's necessary, or counseling. But this is an area you can't just let slide. You can't just, you can't just not tend to this area of your life. This is, the, this is the very substance of your marriage. You know, one of the things that, uh, that Hope and I have done over the years, and we haven't done all this perfectly, but one of the things that we, we chose to do throughout our marriage is kind of read books together on this topic because conversations are awkward. Even when you've been married to the same person for 37 years, uh, conversations about sex can be awkward because it gets down to, 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 you know, some of your own personal desires and, 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 um, and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes, you know, what we've found is just we get a, we get a good book from a trusted author um, and, you know, that, that talks about marriage relationship and sexuality, and, and we'll read that book together, and it just becomes a way of bringing up topics that would be more difficult to talk about and, you know, kind of being able to have something to talk about that someone else has said. So, you know, you can do that or you can, you know, uh, watch uh, documentaries or video courses or that kind of thing. All of those things will help you to kind of bring these issues to the forefront and have discussions in your marriage. And so I encourage you to do that. And again, the, the vacation idea is a great idea and really, you know, lean on the grandparents so you can get away on your own. That's a great help as well. Conflict resolution needs to be a priority as well. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Anger is a reality, and it's a healthy reality. 
Your emotions and the way you respond to certain things and happening in your life, anger is one of those very important emotions that shows you, it, uh, it alerts you to what you're feeling and what's going on, and you can't ignore those things. But it's a healthy emotion, but it needs to be tended to. And chronic, ongoing anger is not healthy. Anger needs to be resolved or it will destroy. And so I always encourage people to seek help early. One of the things I find when couples come to me, and I'm often just an intermediary, I'm not a, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a marriage expert in any kind of way. I'm mostly sharing with you from the Bible and, and from uh, my own experience. And, and that's if you came to me with marriage problems, that's really all I can do for you is talk to you about what the Scripture says and pray with you and try and help you. So I often will, will encourage people to get counseling as well. But uh, what I often find, out, find when people... When they take that step to come to me, they've already made up their mind, and it's too late. And sometimes they're just coming to me because it's, you know, it's just one thing to check off the list to get on to do what they want to do anyway. So when you find yourself in, in a situation where you have conflict that you can't resolve, or it's just, it's just it's ongoing, long periods where you are unable to resolve the issues in your relationship together, it's important that you seek help right away. And it may be just an initial step of coming to see a pastor or, or, or it may be right away, you know, making an appointment with a counselor or getting involved in some kind, of, some kind of help situation. But you can't afford to let these things go because oftentimes people leave it till it's too late. And there is a point where people seem to cross and they just have no, no um, desire to resolve the situation any longer. I think what, what Paul says here in Ephesians is that we have to be prepared to submit to one another. You never get your own way all the time, right? Did you know that? How many get their way all the time? No. It doesn't matter where you are, in your work environment, in your education environment, in your financial environment, and in your marriage. You don't always get your own way. And, there, and in any relationship, there's always this, this need to be willing to submit to one another, to bend in front of the other person and to, and to, um, and, and to kind of realize that you're going to have differences of opinion. And, and you won't always agree. And in fact, you won't always end up agreeing on things. Um, you can't always resolve conflict to the fact that, okay, we agree now. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree, even as a couple. And that's where unity is more important than agreement. So when you, have, when, you, when you make a decision that you are going to work together on something, even if you don't agree, you're going to be unified, especially when it comes to your kids and especially when it comes to your finances and some of these things. You can't have rogue parents. You can't have rogue couples. You can't be going off doing your own thing. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster in your marriage. You, but you can make a decision that you'll be unified even, even when you don't agree on certain things. And we do that through submitting to one another, checking our own motivations. You know, oftentimes the thing that's driving us is our own selfishness, just wanting to get our own way, just wanting to be right. And it just requires you just to say, no, I, 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 I'll just be humble in this situation and I'll submit to you. And that's not just wives submit to your husbands. It's about submitting to one another, Paul talks about. It's not about one person in the marriage always getting their way. It's about submitting to one another. And then in this area of, of conflict resolution, you need to be prepared 
to forgive one another and to be forgiven. Some of the most important words you can be willing to say is, I was wrong. I behaved badly. I said things I should not have. You know, when, when anger arises in our life, when we have that emotion of anger and all the stuff gets mixed up, sometimes we say things that, you know, we, we just never intended to say, and those words cut and they hurt, and you can never take those words back, but you can take responsibility for the words. You can take responsibility, and you can just be humble and apologize And if you had that argument in front of your kids, you probably have to apologize to your kids too and acknowledge to your kids that you were wrong. You have to to really be willing to be humble in order to resolve the conflict. And if you won't, if you just let those things, you know, like like Paul says, don't go to bed angry. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes you literally can't resolve everything before you go to bed. I understand that. But the principle, the idea is there. You don't let these things go on and on and on and on. It will, it will just eat at you. Like, like he says, it's the devil himself will get a little foothold and come creeping into your marriage. And it's the, it's the enemy that wants to destroy your marriage. And so be careful about that. Well, let's talk about the priority of uh, dating a little bit. So this is for the unmarried people now. I can't imagine what, you know, if, if you're a person that's unmarried and you want to be married, not everyone has to be married, not everyone chooses to marry, but if you're here this morning and you're unmarried and you think, yeah, someday it'd be nice to be married, um, this is what Proverbs says, find a good spouse and you'll find a good thing. And even more, you'll find the favor of God. God blesses marriage and uh, and. He he doesn't just bless marriage. He blesses singleness as well. Paul talks about that in that same chapter we talked about where it talked about our sexuality in in, uh, Corinthians. Paul also says it's okay if you don't want to get married. That's fine. You can can give your life to the Lord in different ways. But if you choose to be married, you'll be blessed by the Lord. And in marrying someone, uh, the choice of who you marry is, is probably the most important choice you'll make in life if, you, if marriage is on the horizon for you. It's the most important decision you'll make. You know, you got to wake up with that person day in, day out. And, uh, you know, like I said, 37 years I've been waking up with the same lady. And it's good. <laughs> but what if it wasn't? What if it was what what if it was what if it was a decision that was made and 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 it didn't have you know didn't have that assurance of the blessing of God didn't have that assurance that this was the right decision that was a decision made in haste or a decision made in circumstances that you know were kind of forced upon us or whatever it could be totally different Making that decision is very, very important. So I suppose in today's world, how you make that decision, how you come about that decision is, is, is you know, wide open. I, I honestly, I have no dating advice for anybody because I didn't really date, all right? Hope and I started our relationship when we were very young and we just kind of were friends and then it kind of grew into something else and then, you know, we got married <laughs> at 19. So I don't have a lot of experience in the whole dating world of things. 
But I, when I look around the world today and I see the kind of things that are offered to people, you know, some of the, some of the hookup apps that people have and all the kinds of ways of, of connecting with one another, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tough world out there. And it's important that you take great care in how you choose that person and how you develop those relationships. Take your time. Take it easy. It, it, you know, make sure you like the person <laughs> you need to like the person you're married to. It's very, very important. Let me just give you a little bit of, of advice. Physical attraction is very important. You have to really, you know, be attracted to the person. And I don't want to overplay that, but it's not, don't underplay it either. If you don't find this person attractive, if it's not there, then you need to, you need to be careful because you should have things that you, you should want to be with this person. You should want to marry the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Not only you need to have physical compatibility, but you also have to have soul compatibility. You should have things in common. You should have things in your life that you, interest you, that interest them. Something that you can build a life on. Something that you can actually say, yeah, together we can build our life on this. We can, we can share in some dreams and some visions and some hopes for the future. There's got to be some things in common there. In the mundane of the day in and day out things of life, if you have nothing in common, if you're not working on the same goals and have the same vision uh, together, you, you can be in a lot of difficulties. You don't have to like all the same things. You know, it's okay if he likes sports and you don't like like sports, but there's got to be some point where you connect together in life, where there's some activities, share activities, ideas, and interests. And, you know, sometimes compromise is good on those things that don't, but being completely opposite in your interests and in the things that motivate you and the things deep in your core that excite you. If you are completely on different pages, that person might not be the person for you to spend the rest of your life with. You've got to have soul compatibility. And you've got to have spiritual compatibility as well. The scripture warns against, you know, gives us some wise advice and warns us against the idea of, of, being, um, of coming together as Christians and non-believers in marriage, uh, in business partnerships, any, any, any really strong, close partnership. It's very dangerous. You have to have, you know, conflict over spirituality is, in, is um, inevitable. And if you are not on the same page, and it's basically unresolvable. This is a conflict. If you, if you choose to spend, you know, to, to marry a person that has totally different spiritual values and spiritual ideas and beliefs than you have, there, there's no way of resolving that. You can't force that person to change what they believe and who they are. So it's very important that you, you understand. Not, it doesn't mean that it won't change, but generally speaking, the way that person is, the way they believe today is how they will carry on. And so it's important that you find a person that is compatible with you in the spiritual things, that has the same values as you have spiritually, the same belief system that you have. It's very dangerous. I, like I said, it's one of the saddest things that I get involved in in people's lives. And I'm always, I'm always so grateful when you can help somebody. But it's always a sad thing when you can't. And I've married a lot of people. Like, I've, I've performed the marriage. I have, I've only married one person myself. But. <laughs> but I've performed weddings for lots of people, and I've been to lots of weddings. 
And no one goes to their wedding thinking, well, we're going to get a divorce in a few years. Everybody I've gone to a, to, a, to a wedding for, they were hopeful that this would be a forever thing. And that's what we want. That's what we long for. But we need to understand there are forces, there are things that work against us. And if we don't make this our priority and we don't make this something that really we value, we could, we, could, we could lose out on one of the greatest joys and one of the greatest blessings and bring a lot of hurt to a lot of people. One of the favorite scripture verses that's read at many weddings is Corinthians chapter 11, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter, people call it. And so I'm going to close today by reading this little chapter from the scriptures. And I encourage you this morning, if you're married, that you just... Remind yourself of what the importance of the love relationship you have with your spouse. And if you're not married this morning, that you just consecrate yourself to the Lord and your determination to find someone that's married, uh, someone to marry. (laughs) No. (laughs) Someone to marry that really is, is, is is a great choice. And I don't, want to, I don't even want to say that's God's choice for you because I don't believe, now this is my personal belief, you don't have to agree with me, <laughs> all right? But I don't believe that, you know, God has this, this sovereign master plan that there's only one person that we can ever get together with. I believe that, that God's plan and will is different than that. You have some say in it. You have some, you have some choices involved in this. And it's not about finding that one right person. It's finding the person or a person that you are compatible with and that you can live with, that you share those goals with before the Lord. So don't think you have to just find one person out of all the billions of people in the world that you've got to go sifting through and find just one person. Just find a person. That's what you, what you want to do, someone that you can really love. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're single and you say, I don't think I ever want to get married, that's good. That's fine. My mother, I, you know, she was a widow for over 30 years, and, uh, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, when their spouse dies, my mom was in her, in her 40s when my dad died, and, and, uh, and she, uh, you know, she say, people say, well, you know, Tony, her name is Tony, Tony, do you want to get, you know, you thinking about getting married? And she says, nah. She said, why would I want to get married again? <laughs> then I'll just be, you know, I'll be held down, you know. I'll be tied into someone else's life. And, uh, and my mom was just, she just lived her life to enjoy it and to serve the Lord. And, you know, she did all kinds of things, went on missions trips and things like that. And she just gave her life to, to the Lord and, and to her family and to, to just enjoying the rest of her life. And, uh, and she never regretted not getting married again. So it's okay. 1 Corinthians 13. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, 
but keeps going to the end.